All right, welcome to Story Comic Presents, where we interview amazing storytellers and artists. This is episode 48, and with us is Ryan Hawk, the host of the Farfetch Storytelling Podcast, uh, the creator of the webcomic The Unspeakable Text, uh, text, and the acclaimed writer and creator of Bric-a-Brac, a fantasy Christmas story, which is now live on Indiegogo as we speak, and we'll we'll talk about that. So, Ryan, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. I'm really excited to talk all things Bric-a-Brac with you. Absolutely, it's an honor. Yeah, it's an honor to be on, and uh, yeah, thank you very much for having me. You're welcome, and we're just talking before we kind of went on the air a bit about your 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 T-shirt. So uh, mm -hmm. that's your that's your theme there. It's your, your yeah your, the characters of, uh, of right Bricker the cover of yeah. issue two. This is the cover. Yep. And you have so this is issue two, and mm -hmm. you will be coming out with. Uh, I heard in a previous one of your previous interviews, your story arc is going to be three issues. Correct. Correct. Yes. Okay. Three issues. All right. Yep. All right. And and they're all. Then you have the. Do you have like the it all scripted out to like issue three uh -huh. scripted out as well? Yeah, so. I know exactly where we're gonna go, and uh, yeah, it's all scripted out. But again, um, with crowdfunding and you, you know the paid, I think that you know it's nice to have all the pages laid out. But sometimes you have to make compromises in the pages. Sometimes, um, you know, there's a lot of things that happen. So, uh, yeah, but it, it's all scripted out and stuff like that. So. And and you had some really good points, and I we'll talk about in a little bit about. Um, how you you go about crowdfunding, which is is which, which is I find a little bit innovative compared to some other folks, and also uh, talking a little bit about you know how what your process is. Um, before we jump in, though, just for the sake of for our viewers and and listeners out there, do you want to first kind of give people a little bit of a background on how you got into uh, writing and creating? Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, so. I really got um, smitten by, um, as Todd McFarlane says, smitten by, con he always says that, but, um, but smitten by um, comic books when I was like 13 or 14. And, and this was uh, the new 52 era um, comic books. So I really um, got into those. And I think that's really, I, mean, I got into them late. I'm going to be honest. I didn't really have any exposure to them before. But uh, the, the appeal is that they're uh, really, really fun and uh you can basically go anywhere with them. I love telling stories where you there's no limits. In film, there are limits. Um, in prose, there aren't limits, but the there's the the lack of. And I do tell prose stories, um, but there's uh, comic books. Just really, you can go anywhere. Uh, if you can draw, you can do it. And so that kind of drew me towards comic books um, and taking it seriously as something I could do. Um, and so that's why I've kind of created independent comics and stuff like that. And so crowdfunding just seemed like an obvious thing because you obviously need to get the funds to make something. And then you also want an audience to, to you, know, you know, kind of experience it and, um, you know, be able to hold it in their hands and look at it. So um, it's kind of a no brainer. It's kind of the best deal you can get right now if you want to tell stories um, on, you know, uh, you know tell, tell comic book stories. And, um, you know, I tried knocking on DC and Marvel's door a long time ago. You know, I tried, um, you know, when I first got into college, I remember trying to call, Je I, I actually managed to call Jeff John's assistant once. And I would kept, I kept calling the DC offices like every single day. Um, and this was like three years ago. I just kept calling and kept calling. I, I got Jeff John's office assistant. I was like, does Jeff John's need an assistant? You know, I can go down to uh, Burbank and, it didn't work out, obviously. Um, and um, yeah, I would call Marvel too. And then I think I called Oneshi, o Oni Press once and they were like, you can't call us, don't call us. And that kind, of, <laughs> that kind of, I was like disenchanted. I was like, okay, this isn't working clearly. So that was really why I made my um, foray into co independent comics too, is because you know there aren't any doors opening for me in these publishing things. So I'm gonna have to do it myself. And that comes with a lot of challenges, obviously. Um, you know, if I'm doing the finances, getting all these things figured out, but it is worth it. And it's really great to, um, you know, accumulate fans. And uh, that's where I am now, pretty much. And you, yeah, you did mention, as you talked about, that you, you mentioned in a, um, uh, in a, a one of your pre and and just for you know for the viewers and, and listeners out there, um, Ryan also has a really good YouTube channel to check out. And you mentioned in there that you said to get that you know for independent comic writers and and, and creators is to get out of this you call it like an '80s and '90s mentality. Um, and do you want to uh, kind of explain exactly is that what what you're referring to about? 
having to, you know, reach out to publishers in order to yes. tell your yeah. story. Yeah, because I know that I think I think I know what, you, what you're talking about. The idea of people um, thinking that they can in the in the 80s and 90s thinking, well, obviously you can, you know, submit to editors and go to comic cons, and there's this due process that could potentially work for you, and it worked for a lot of people who got in. But now, obviously, things are much more complicated, and you don't get you don't get to meet editors at comic book conventions. It's a lot harder to do that. In fact, it's pretty. It's just not going to happen. You know, you can't um, submit anymore. Marvel doesn't let you submit anymore. Um, DC won't let you submit. You have to know people to get in. You have to do all these things to break in. And I think really I came to the conclusion early on, thankfully, because I really kept knocking at the door all the time. Um, I came to the conclusion that really you need to, the uh, the idea is just to just go independent. Um, and I think um, that's a really great uh, thing because comic, independent comics, you know, in the last couple of years have really boomed. I think um, there's been a lot of in the last year. Uh, there's been some massive campaigns where it be Earthworm Jim, you know, or um, just kicks things on Kickstarter, or you know, making a million dollars with Berserker, the Keanu Reeves thing. And I know that ha has a big star attached to it, but still, I mean, this is a independent crowd. Okay, not technically independent, but still, it's a crowdfunding book that makes a huge amount of noise and gets a million over a million dollars. So I think clearly something is going on and a lot of eyes are going towards independent crowdfunding sites. And so it just seemed uh, it just seemed like that was the appropriate thing to do if I wanted to continue doing comics was I'm going to have to go this route. Um, and I love comics, but I also realized at that point that yeah, I have to, to diversify my palette as well, you know, make films or do podcasts or do prose as well cuz I think you have to have a uh, talent stack. If you really want to be an, a, 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 an effective creator, um, you can't just have one eye on one prize because that doubles your chances of really not getting that prize. Um, and so, um, yeah, basically what I was talking about with that before, though, about the comics in the 90s and the 80s mentality is just that um, I think that people still, and I run into people who think, oh, I just need to get, uh, I just need to send my samples to Marvel or DC or Image. And it's just not going to happen, you know. Uh, even if you have some of the best samples in the world, I really doubt Image Comics will publish it because what you don't understand is they're not paying you to finish it. You have to finish it. You have to fund all of it, the lettering and all of that. They're just going to publish it. A lot of people don't quite understand the whole Image thing. They think that oh, they're going to pay you to finish it. That's not true. You know, you have to finish it, and that goes for all these other publishers too, even the small ones like Boom. Studios or um, Dark Horse or uh, you know there's a Alterna or um, you have IDW. to finish it. Yeah, yeah, IDW. You have to finish it. You, you, they're not gonna you know you know so uh, that's why crowdfunding is the most appealing thing. And to anyone who's a, a creator, I think you should use it. You know. Yeah, and as you you're you know you know mentioning uh, in a previous interview, it's also it's free. I mean, they, they right. like Kickstarter and Indiegogo will take a, a chunk afterwards, but putting it out there is it's free and it's and uh and i've heard it in like in a previous interview saying and it's also like free market research right too you can kind of understand what you know what you know how how it's working um mm -hmm. so talk to us a bit about um uh, brickerback this is not your as you said issue number two um i love this story so it's you know what and then and when we were talking before we, we went on the air that 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 basically that basically the that you know christmas stories and christmas theme stories um always you know in a way it's like it, it kind of has its own kind of take and spin on it what i like about this is that you actually um mentioned that this uh, is almost a you called it also like a, a like a space opera in a way mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. and so talk to a, i this this is a I like. I'm just excited to talk to you about Brickabrack. For sure. What? For you, sure. <laughs> what? Tell us. Give, give give our viewers and listeners kind of a a, a background a bit on um, the storyline, and then also then talk to us um, how you came up with the the idea of this story. Yeah. Um. So the storyline is very simply um, about a war going on on a planet Christmas. A war, kind of a dispute going on. So there is. The Nutcrackers um, are basically going after a resource on the planet. 
um, for nefarious reasons that we'll kind of get into in issue two. Um, and this involves kind of the intergalactic stuff um, out, outside people influencing them to do this and manipulating them to do this. But either way, the Nutcrackers are taking over the planet and um, they're taking over villages and these search and finding Christmas spirit, which is a resource that kind of accumulates underneath the planet. And um, it's kind of like the force or it's kind of like a, um, just a, like a resource that when people are happy and celebrating Christmas, it just accumulates. And it's very valuable to people who are outside of planet Christmas. They can use it as fuel. They can use it as this or this or this. And that's why the Nutcrackers are getting it for other people, right? So um, this is the basically the start of the war, and we follow a main character named Garrett whose home is attacked. Now, all the children of Planet Christmas, or at least a, a large majority, have been taken um, to this small island called Sugar Plum Cove, by, and they're being taken care of by these um, fairy godmothers, basically. But um, at the beginning of the first issue, the Nutcrackers take over this place because... Of course, there's kids. The kids all believe in Santa Claus. They celebrate Christmas and they love it. So there's a mass amount of Christmas spirit underneath that place. So clearly they would want to go there. And so Garrett's friends are kidnapped. Um, and he has, and his, you know, his mother figures are kidnapped. And um, to make everything right, he feels as though he needs to find Father Christmas. And so he embarks on this massive journey to find Father Christmas. And he meets all these characters along the way. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully he'll succeed, I, you know, and uh, he is in over his head um, and he's very young, but luckily he does have a friend in Marie um, who's going to help him out and, uh, you know, get him to that goal, uh, supposedly. So that's basically the main plot as it stands right now. Obviously with issue two, things will change and um, characters will reveal themselves and certain things like that. But um, yeah, that's basically the, the plot right now. And as... To answer the second question, you asked you um, asked about what was the origin of this? How did this kind of come to be? Um, largely um, a fan of Rankin Bass. I'm a huge fan of the Rankin Bass movies. I've talked about this a lot, but it's just hard not to because those movies are amazing. The songs are incredible um, with you know Rudolph, but not just Rudolph. Uh, you know, Santa Claus is coming to town or of course um, the year without a Santa Claus or the little drummer boy, or the list goes on and on and on. Um, and a lot of great Christmas specials, the Polar Express, or I, you know, I'm grabbing from all these different things to kind of uh, make a, an amalgam, a um, kind of a mash them together, mashing together things that are familiar yet different, flipping things that are familiar on their head. So, you know, taking things from the Nutcracker Ballet, the Nutcrackers are usually the heroes, right? Well, they're not now, they're the enemies. And so um, it's basically the idea, and it's embracing the, the, the name of the story, Brigabrack, uh, by just taking all these items that really shouldn't be together, have no business being together, and kind of mashing them together and seeing what it comes out to be, and fully realizing it and taking it seriously. Um, you know, Planet Christmas has beaches, it has different locations, it's a fully realized world, it has a underground it has an underwater um civilization um so it is a really a uh, fully fleshed out world and um that's basically the idea of uh, how it came to be and finding the artist was really the you know the nail uh the the real uh kind of giving us the gas to make it happen uh you know you can have all these great ideas but if you don't have an artist um like i have with Raphael um and tom and milton who are uh, all contributing to this issue um they you know, it wouldn't work. It would never work. The uh, Raphael is the is the glue that really fits all of this together. You know, you can talk about it, and you know, Frank Baum has talked about it, obviously in the life and times of um, Father or Santa Claus, and you know, there's these great stories that kind of try to create this world, this amalgam. But to actually put it into a comic book form is just. Um, I I feel like Raphael is the the only person who could do it really. So. So talk to us about, you just mentioned there about, you know, there's, you know, different aspects in Planet Christmas. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm really curious because you do a lot of writing. You do a lot of writing of, you know, prose work. You said you do a lot of scripts. Um, and um, so give us uh, 
help us out a bit with like the world building aspect of it. How did you, how did you create Planet Christmas? And as a, as, um, as a self, as, as like a fan of Christmas is like, well, you know, what's the connect? Is there a connection? Is this connected at all to like, say like earth or is this its own separation altogether? Yeah, it is separated from earth. Um, and that's another thing where it's a different Christmas story in that aspect. There's not, I mean, there are humans. It's kind of like a star Wars world where, you know, there are humans and they have the likeness of humans, but they really, um, you know, they're just not, you know, humans kind of like Mm -hmm. a Luke Skywalker. He's not humanoid. That's not his um, species. He's just, he just is. So, um, so with that, I would just say that, no, it's not earth. Uh, but, the, the attempt to just make a fully realized world, I think it helps people get into a the fantasy. Like, I've never really seen a Christmas story go into fantasy as much as this one does. Because right. we really don't have to explain why there's dragons, okay? We don't have to explain why there's, like, all these strange characters, like a spider snowman, or this, or this, or these, um, you know, uh, golem creatures, or this. We don't really need to explain where they come from. I think it's just expected in fantasy worlds that these things exist. And so I think um, kind of making it a fully realized world, I hope it people, it's believable to people um, that we can have these things in it, um, you know, cause we do go crazy, you know, uh, why not? You know, and we have a scene in, you know, Christmas, the Christmas village, um, you know, where we have dragons and spiders and stuff of that nature. And then of course, every time that the, there's massive battles, it's a bunch of people, the Nutcrackers versus a lot of people who are the um, foot soldiers and the militia of Planet uh, of Christmasville, who have basically are the only group of people who are even attempting to fight the Nutcrackers at this point, um, because they're so powerful. Those people are full of different characters like cats and you know all these things. But you know, it, I think that because it's a fantasy world, because it's not Earth, um, this is really believable. I. I think there's always that weird dissonance where kids, you know, where Santa Claus or elves or creatures, um, like for example, the Christmas Chronicles movie, I don't know if you've seen it, but um, the one that came out like a couple years ago, I think it's a great movie, but there's always that leap of faith you have to take with, you know, the Polar Express is a good one too. Like you are in a normal earthly world and then suddenly the train comes through, this magical train comes through and it promises to take you to the North Pole. Or there's, you know, in the Christmas Chronicles, they find out that Santa Claus is real all of a sudden. Everything is normal and then they find out he's real. That uh, is a hard, it's hard to make that leap. So I figured why not just make it a Planet Christmas and make it, make these things exist already and have fun with it and just kind of go bananas. And so that was really the idea of trying to make it a fleshed out world. Right, because that way you don't have to worry about. You can establish your own rules and laws, mm-hmm. you know, like laws of nature, all that kind of stuff, without having to try to fit it into, yeah, yeah, like you said, like a, like physics of the earth or try to right. explain. Because if you notice, like the other Christmasers have to explain. All right, how does Santa fly? Or yeah, explain... it's like you don't need to explain that in this world because it's just right. it's expected that he just does it. It's just you know. So uh, right. I yeah, the the getting into the science of the Christmas. It all, you know, and people always try to do that too. Like, they're like, I deduce that Santa Claus wasn't real because of this fact. Like, he could not, there's no possible reason he could do this. Well, on this planet, he could, you know, it's a fantasy world and uh, there's really no rules to, I mean, there's rules that we set. Obviously, you can't have like an ultimately powerful character like come in and take everyone out or something like that. But um, I just think that having a fantasy world makes it, um, I don't know. It just makes it more fun. I've never seen that in a Christmas story before. I'll just say. Right. There was a really good, and I was like, there was, uh, I was having this debate with one of my friends about, um, you know, Santa and stuff like that. And, and I, and I actually produced to him a, and it, you, you can find it, you can find it online. It was either MIT. I think it was MIT where they, they did a doctoral thesis to prove through quantum physics, how Santa could actually, do everything we all think Santa does. It's mm-hmm. actually a pretty fun. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, so I wanted to ask you because you did mention you did mention earlier too that you know a lot of your inspiration of how you have your your version your take on Santa is 
you know, there, there's a bit of like heroism about him. Like he defends mm-hmm. the innocent and, and, um, and some of your inspiration came from, you know, Narnia's version and, and Oz's version of, of what, how they, how they portrayed Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. Is there, uh, did you, have you seen like in, in, in recent in, in recent, um, any other versions of Santa that you mentioned the Christmas Chronicles, um, new takes on Santa that you said, Oh, I love how they did that. I wish I would have thought about that. Was there any other of those pieces that you've noticed lately? I've heard that the Christmas, uh, I heard that the, what is it called? Um, the guardians has a really cool version of Santa. I'm not sure what it is quite. Um, I've never seen that movie. Um, but this Santa, he's really, um, he's a fighter. He's the greatest fighter. Um, he's the greatest warrior on all of planet Christmas. But the only issue is that he's lost. He can only, he's powered by, by Christmas spirit, sort of like how, you know, in, um, what is it? The year without a Santa Claus, Santa, because there's no Christmas spirit. It doesn't want to go out and, you know, give presents to people. He feels like you'll just skip that Christmas. Right. Well, it's kind of like that, but like a thousand times with this mm-hmm. Santa, you know, he's just lost all his power because everyone is so busy fighting. They don't even, they, they don't even understand what Christmas means anymore. I mean, all the Christmas spirit is gone, you know, it's been taken and used for fuel. Um, so, Basically, he's powerless, but Garrett doesn't know that, and um, Marie doesn't know that either. No one knows that he's really powered by Christmas spirit, which is why he is trying to leave and escape. Um, so, but he's a really caring person, and um, even you know, as we'll see, even without all of that, he's still even without his power and literally on the brink of death, he's still giving to people still. And it's just the idea of just having a soul that is constantly giving. I think a lot of people don't understand that that's really the true essence of Santa is just the idea of constantly giving. It's almost like Batman in a way, but less dark, just unbelievable. Like just every moment thinking about how, what he can do for others, never thinking about himself. And um, you know, that's why Santa's fat. That's why Santa, I mean, that's why Santa has a big beard and he's unkept and he's, you know, he, he, that's, he doesn't care about how he looks. He cares about you. He cares about other people. It's the constant, continual spirit of giving that is what Santa Claus is. And um, that can be giving in any way. It doesn't have to just be presents. It can be, and obviously in the case of Planet Christmas, he used to be a guardian. He used to really, you know, when there was a monster that came, he would take it out, which we'll see in issue two. Or when there's all these different threats, he would take it out. Or when there's a dispute, he would come and try to figure it out in any way he could. Um, But that's what Santa Claus is. He is someone who just is... He has a compulsion to give. And sometimes, you know, it's a bad thing because he never gives enough time for himself. But that's, I think that if you can hit that with Santa Claus, um, you have a great Santa Claus. And I think a lot of characters do hit that. I think some of them, like, I think the one in, um, you know, like the Christmas Chronicles I mentioned, you know, Kurt Russell, I think, plays Father Chris, or Santa. And, um, you know, he, he it's fine. But I just think that uh, I don't like the versions of Santa that they want to highlight his bad parts or, you know, the parts, you know, maybe the things that, um, for example, there's a movie with Mel Gibson out now that is about, you know, him killing people or stuff like that. I think the image of Santa Claus is so powerful that it's, it's, um, it just, it doesn't work for me when, um, people try to make him look like that, you know, it's, it's like, feels kind of wrong. It's like kind of seeing like Batman with a gun or something like that. It's like, it just like shocks you. Like there's no way, you know? So it's just, um, yeah, I don't know uh, that, but that's my version of Santa. And I think that a lot of, there's a lot of great versions of Santa that are, uh, you know, again, the compulsion of giving, I think that's the most important thing. And, and you mentioned before, like, you know, like just like the, the name Bric-a-Brac came from kind of like, as you said, like an amalgamation of different mm-hmm. Christmas traditions and stories and characters. Did you, was there anything that you kind of had to leave on the writing room floor? Like, yeah, I don't have enough room for this. Is there, was there any parts of it that you had to, either say maybe someday, but I can't really fit this into the storyline right now. Yeah, there's definitely, um, well, we, there's like a good King Wenceslas character um, that I thought would be on the cutting room floor, but thankfully we were able to kind of fit him in. Um, and, um, but, but, you know, in a, in a different way. Um, also, I kind of thought that the, um, the ghost of Christmas past for the future wouldn't kind of have to be on the cutting room floor too, but I kind of figure out a way that they could work. So they're kind of the narrators of the story, um, which kind of only makes sense because they have a, you know, a foresight of 
what's happening at all times. So um, they would make a perfect narrator and they're really silly in this and they're kind of childlike and they're younger and they're different. But as for other characters that are on it, like um, I, I think we hit a lot of bases. We have a lot of, if, if we don't have a character that's, um, you know, kind of like a flip on like a different character that's from the songs or Rudolph or these different things, we have a character that's like an archetype of that, you know, like for example, Scrooge can really be seen in our redemptive character, Jack Frost, who made, who really, really screwed up at, you know, um, who really, really screwed up and did a lot of bad things and then um, felt remorse for that because a lot of his friends were hurt in result of his bad decision-making and now he's kind of trying to find redemption. Um, and so that's kind of a Scrooge archetype. Um, I would also say, you know, um, Good King Wenceslas is kind of a, an archetype of maybe like a um, kind of like a King Arthur um, kind of character who is trying to um, have like Christmas games um, for his nights and, you know, trying to entertain themselves on Christmas night and um, that kind of thing. And, you know, just trying to do these great um, deeds, you know, to entertain each, uh, each other during their feasts and stuff like that. Um, and um, kind of calling from the story, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, which is, I think, a great Christmas story about, you know, a Christmas game. And so his, his story is really interesting too. Um, but other than that, I would just say that I try to have a lot of the Christmas themes in this story. A lot of if there's not the main character from something like, like I said, there's not a Rudolph, uh, mm. but um, we try to have like a character who is an outcast or something like that. But I don't know. I mean, I really don't, didn't think there was anything I needed to put on the cutting room floor. Exactly. I usually found a way to put it in, which again, speaks to the name of the story. Uh, and I think is also indicative of the idea that it's just a big fantasy world and it's a journey story. Um, really. Mm. It's uh, really, I think there's there's only several times where we cut away and see um, another group of characters, like whether it be the villains doing something else or talking about their evil plan, but it's largely us focusing on the journey of Garrett and Marie um, pretty much the entire time. So I guess, um, but yeah, to answer your question, I hope I did, uh, there's not, nothing really on the cutting room floor. I just found a way to kind of fit it in. And if um, I really wanted to make this, um, a story that hit a lot of bases that people were familiar with, but also switched things up a bit. And and you mentioned earlier about um, your you know working with uh, with uh, Raphael. Mm -hmm. um, and so for any of those uh, any uh, writers out there who are listening, uh, asking how did you find him? How did you were able to? Uh -huh. How did that work? How did that work to 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 wrap in Raphael into your project oh, yeah. and to break the break? Mm -hmm. So, um, so there's, like I mentioned, there's three collaborators on the project. So I'll just mention Tom first. Uh, Tom did this, um, the, the cover of this, the cover for this, and he's doing a backup story in the book. So it's going to be the interiors with Raphael, which is about 22 pages and then the backup story. But um, I found him through an anthology. Right. So I would encourage people who are doing comics and producing them to put go like put stuff in anthologies. Like, why not? First off, you'll have the comic vine page, which is great. And you'll have something on comicsology, which is cool. And you can share with people and you get comps. So why not? Um, but uh, that's how I found him. So and also you get to meet artists who, you know, you're in the book with them. They probably saw your work. So um so that's how I found him. And so we've done a lot of things together. We did a comic book called Serial Wars and we did a a motion comic too. I made it into, I found a really talented graphic designer to make a motion comic of our little five page comic, which is super cool. Um, and you can find it on my YouTube channel. Um, and so then Raphael, I met on ArtStation, which I would encourage everyone who is a, a comic book, anything. It doesn't even matter if you're a writer or artist or anything. If you're a letterer, even I found um, that ArtStation is where it is, where all the artists are posting their work. Um, and um, DeviantArt is kind of a thing of the past. Um, Instagram and Art, ArtStation are really where I found, and this also speaks to every single artist from my um, comic book anthology. Uh, we've done 25 stories, that's 25 different artists I found on this site who are willing to just collaborate for free, just for fun, just to do a small three-page story, two-page story. So hopefully that is inspiration for people who are like, I don't have money. Well, there's people who want to collaborate with you if you are willing to write a script. Um, and so I found Raphael through that too. And we, I saw his art and I was like, this is, like I said before, this is, this is the, if there was a guy to tell this story, this is the guy. 
this story that's been in my head for like, since I was like four years old, this is the dude. And then, um, then my friend Milton, I knew for a while and he's doing, he did the designs for the logo and the, um, the interior, um, designs of the book. And then he's also contributing a page to the backup story as well. Um, and so this team, um, they're all people I've known for at least two years or something. So it just, um, and I've worked with them on the previous one. So we kind of are bringing everybody back for number two. And you mentioned in a previous interview, which I found fascinating, that you equated the artist as the director and mm -hmm. you as the screenwriter. Now, as you as the creator, though, it's like uh, you're almost like the executive producer in a way, is too. Oh, yeah. Or, or like, right. So how how does that relationship work where uh, where how how much of that um, in, in the story and in, in, in Brickerback issues one and two uh, has Raphael said, "Hey, let's do it like this." Or how much of how much of his hand is in in the uh, um, in the in the 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 story, the, the the final piece of that? For sure. Well, I think you know, uh, I write a script completely, and then I usually strip it of the dialogue. Um, Raphael is from Portugal, um, so or no, he's he's actually sorry, he's from Brazil rather, mm -hmm. and uh, so he uh, he is. Um, He's not, English is not his first language. And so I usually strip it of the dialogue and kind of make it more simple. And he just always finds a way to make it more complex in some way. He adds these great details, which is, you know, he is, he's done work in DreamWorks and he's worked on all these different things. And he's just really, he understands what the, the tone I'm going for very well. He understands, because um, he's been there from the beginning. You know, he did the characters two years ago. We were talking about the designs of the characters and all that. And he's really um, been with me through this for a long time. So he understands what I'm going for. He understands what we're trying to kind of, um, you know, reference with certain things. And so, yeah, so that is um, basically where... Uh, that, uh, where a collaboration works is I will give him a direction and he basically executes that, but adds more details. Um, but yeah, the scripts are already written before that. But, you know, I think that again, he is the director. He gets to say where the camera is going to be, where, what the environment's going to look like. Um, you know, um, what, how are we going to look at the characters? What's the intensity of the scene? Um, what is, uh, how are the characters emotions going to look like? Uh, like what are their facial expressions going to be, which is huge. Um, you know, and given it's kind of a cartoony style, it's even bigger because, um, you know, I think the characters, they're, uh, they just emote even more ex in a more exaggerated way. So it's really, his, his role is critical um, to really kind of selling this world. Um, and it's just that his work is so um, eye-popping and eye-catching that it just immediately takes you there. Um, I think it's, it, 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 you know, there's no dissonance, I don't think. You know, you just kind of, you look at his coloring style and his work and the way he draws the characters and you just kind of believe this world. Whereas I would say, you know, if someone like Jim Lee were drawing it, obviously it would look weird. You know, it would look like Alienoid or so it would just not look right. You know, if someone like Gary Frank were drawing it, I just don't think it would look, you know, it wouldn't be, you wouldn't pull it off. You couldn't pull it off. That's what I'm saying. So, you know, just finding him, I kind of realized I could do this. This is, this story can actually happen. I mean, obviously, you know, we're talking about issue three um, that um, being released in the future as well. So mm -hmm. because this, as you said, this has been a passion project for you since you're very little. Um, yeah. What's your dream with it? Is there going to be more of this or is there going to be children's books or coloring books? So yeah. like, how, how much do you like? Where do you? You know, where you know, where's your where's your dream heading with that brick of brick right now? Well, yeah, I mean, I really want it to be, you know, hopefully by this time next year we'll be able to my plan is to hopefully have a lot of the book done by October launch for issue three on Indiegogo on, you know, uh, and then have that completed, then maybe in November or December launch for the hardcover or a soft cover or something like that. So people can collect all of it. Um, and you know, I want, I want it to be, I want kids to be able to get it. You know, I, I've said it before, but I don't think kids are going on crowdfunding sites trying to find books like this. You know, I mean, they, it's not accessible to them. Um, but I want it to be in a way that it is. Cause I want, uh, you know, just like how my mother read the night before Christmas to me or, um, jolly old St. Nick to me, um, or these great, Christmas stories to me with amazing art. I want it to be the same um, with this, but you know, this just has fisticuffs and action and 
um, really fun stories and a lot of a lot of Christmas mythology and new stuff too. And, um, and so I just think that I would love it to be a story that people read to their children on Christmas Eve, you know, just like my mom read to me. Um, great stories on Christmas Eve, just like I sat around the campfire and watched, um, you know, the Christmas story with my family. I think that it's 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 something that I would like it to be. But as for sequels, I could definitely see that happening or toys. I want to make toys or this or that. I would love to do that, of course. But it's just about um, getting the exposure and um, figuring out how to do that. I want to finish the book first, obviously, before I try to do any of that and hopefully get a publisher. I um, and figure something out uh, where we could distribute it um, when it's completed. So that would, that's really the goal. Yeah. And you mentioned in a previous interview as well, that you, um, that ultimately storytelling is the, the first form in like the, one of the main, main forms of, of, you know, of, of art for us. And you, uh -huh. know, you mentioned too, it's like, it's, you know, storytelling is, is for entertainment and to learn. And, so I mean, what do you do? You have you know, in in this you know, when when you look at all three issues in, in one, you know, one one big volume, do you do you want the audience or the readers to take away any anything like a, a lesson from from this as well? Oh yeah, def uh, definitely. You know, the the main I think the main idea is to see a character kind of go from his innocence, um, where he's hidden from this world to really seeing what reality is and having reality hit you in the face and kind of see, um, you know, how there's the, all this stuff going on on planet Christmas that is not what he thought. And then having to navigate through that and grow up and, um, you know, find Father Christmas, hopefully, and, um, you know, make everything right. And of course, things continually get complicated where either General Almond or his brother try to muck up stuff for them, or they'll start more wars, or, you know, Garrett is largely this massive pacifist because he really doesn't understand war. And he's just seen his entire um, island, his only home, he's only, he's known, destroyed, like literally decimated. Um, yeah. And so it's just really difficult for him to, and it's kind of equating, and it really deeply equating to what kids um, kind of go through. And I mean, probably not to the severe of an extent, but you know, when they realize that Santa Claus isn't real in our, in our interpretation of real, um, I think that, you know, obviously there's, there's different interpretations of what real is with Santa Claus, but in, in the phys you can't touch him. Right. And he doesn't come to your house. And, and when you learn that, um, it's devastating. And I think your your outlook on Christmas does change. It becomes tainted in some ways. And, um, and of course, when you grow up and when you're the person giving the um, child the gifts, um, obviously it changes too, you know? So there's all these different, all these different forms of Christmas that I think we're supposed to go through. It's almost like a myth structure um, in a way. And, it, and, it, and it's kind of like you go from this to this, and then you kind of are now the grandfather who's giving the gift who's, um, you know, passing on gifts to um, the son to this. It's a very traditional, there's so much meaning in Christmas. And it's probably why there's a lot of amazing stories during that time, because there's just so much meaning. And you can take out the religious stuff. Um, even you can take out just the imagery of Christmas and you can look up at the sun and say, wow, okay, it's been dark for the last two months. Now, suddenly there's a winter solstice and oh my God, it's light again. I mean, even at the very basic level, there is meaning in like in the minuscule level, there's still meaning. And so it's just, um, it's a very meaningful time. So I think that that, that, that is, um, that's why you can tell so many great stories there. But I would say the main story is really just that idea of growing up and, and the, the idea of how Christmas changes when you grow up and um, how, you, how do you maintain that goodness? How do you maintain that childish wonder? How do you do that? And I don't think a lot of people successfully do, but that's what the story is about. And so let's talk about let's let let's uh, let's look at your Indiegogo, um, uh, your your uh, your your campaign right now. Mm -hmm. um, seventy nine seventy as a that's like almost eighty percent funded. You got you got um, over a week left, so this is exciting. This is uh, not not knuckle knuckle biting no faint nail biting <laughs> like, yeah it is <laughs> yeah we had an amazing launch but like then things kind of slowed down but i do think we'll succeed you know i think we will with the push towards the end i really i do think we will i think i think we'll get there 
Yeah. So talk to us about some of these perks here. Some of these are, I love, I love this in Indiegogo is that you actually kind of have a featured perk that mm -hmm. is right there on the top is sort of based off of, um, you know, like, like yeah, instead of being based off of like the high, you know, lowest to highest. So do yeah. you want to just add, you know, talk, talk through our audience a bit about mm -hmm. what you have here? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we have a perk that basically it's what I kind of call the catch up perk. It's basically you get issue one and two. Issue one will have a variant cover. Um, so it's going to be a second printing. And then you get the art prints and art print of Jack Frost and a bookmark. And then not only do you get the physical books, but you get digital versions of them too. So you can share it with your cousin or whatnot. Um, and yeah, that is all for 24 bucks. So yeah, that, uh, and I've never, um, I usually include had I usually included the bookmarks and the art print in a different tier, but I figured why not include it in this one just because, um, yeah, I just I have a lot laying uh, left over from the first one, um, and I just was like, okay, I mean, I don't know what to do what to do with these; they're just going to stay here. So let's just um, give them out for sure. That's a great deal too. That is amazing. <laughs> Twenty four bucks. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, then, and then we have some digital stuff for backers who, you know, international backers always say, you know, um, and I always say this too, it, it makes it easier for me and it makes it easier for them. They don't have to pay so much to get a book shipped to them. And I don't have to probably end up paying more to do it um, because that's just how it goes with international shipping. So always having the opportunity to do that is good. I want to mm -hmm. give people that opportunity, even though I know people want the physical book, it's just, it's hard. It's hard. But maybe when, again, like we were saying, maybe when the book is um, more widely available, it's possible. But these are the people who are the, uh, the first, um, you know, the, the first, you know, the people bringing it to life. So it has right. to be brought to life before it can be widely available, you know, and then um, we have the, the physical book number of uh, number two for people who, you know, got the first one. So, um, you know, obviously you wouldn't want to get the first worst one again. And, um, yeah, so I obviously want to offer that one. And, and how, how many pages is it, Ryan? So this is going to be um, 25, uh, 30 pages. All, wow. all, like 30 pages, issue two will be 30 pages, and then issue one is 30 pages. And so together it's going to be 60 pages. Wow, cool. And yeah, that's the digital. This time around we also had a tier where you can donate um, four books to the Boys and Girls Club, so a chapter of your choice. Uh, again, kind of embracing the Christmas spirits. Um, and I didn't know that people would back it, but I'm really uh, happy that they did. I think it's a, I think it's, you know, it's a cool, I saw it on someone else, you know, I, whether people are giving books to the military, which you kind of have to have a very specific, you have to talk to some people for that, but with the boys and girls club, it, it's a lot simpler. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of just the, uh, it's just a cool perk that I think that people will, um, I think kids will appreciate hopefully. Right. Yeah. And then you have the double brick a brick. Is this, is that, is that kind of like a retail thing or how does that? Um, yeah. I mean, it's just if people want to give copies to their okay. loved ones or stuff, I just figured maybe I would just give people kind of a better deal on the two issues. I don't know. I mean, people do want to buy multiple ones um, every once in a while just because they want to give, um, give them away or maybe have one that they're going to put in a bag and board and then one that they're just going to read through or I don't know people I just wanted to offer it just because I didn't want people to have to pay shipping twice right. um, so yeah and then this is mm -hmm. yeah. yeah so this is named after the brother of the main um, the nutcracker the main nutcracker uh, his brother's name is Tchaikovsky and he's kind of like um, a bumbling goofy character that you know he's very self um he's obsessed with himself and he, um, he, he's so different from the main villain. It's crazy. But anyway, um, yeah, this is basically where you can get, you can create a character with this one. So create a Christmas character. So you can kind of create a character in the background of the story. Um, and then you also get a sketch from Raphael. Um, so a sketch of a brick rock character. Um, one of the main characters, um, usually he picks two and just gives those away. So last year we had our two main characters this year. We're probably going to do like Jack Frost and good King Wenceslas or something like that. And yeah, then you get, you know, again, book one, book two, um, the prints and, um, all that cool stuff that you could get before as well. Wow. So yeah, it's just a big tier and then and become then an elf. 
Okay. Yeah, this is just someone wanted to put their likeness on an elf. And there's a scene <laughs> where we have a bunch of elves and I didn't want Raphael to just roll the same elves over again. Basically, the, the scene with the elves basically involves Garrett and Marie talking to these elves who, you know, Father Christmas has left. Um, and so they had they had to find a place of refuge. And so Garrett and Marie come across this place. And so, um, yeah, that's that's basically where we have the opportunity to make you elves, for sure. And this last one is sold out, but yeah, oh, create right. a Christmas character. But you can still get that with the sketch tier. Okay. Yep. That is, that's right. and you and, and and I gotta say too, what was really really cool you yeah uh, that you mentioned was that um, uh, in a previous interview you mentioned that that. Um, that you look at crowdfunding a bit differently than um, some other people that you you see this almost as like a crowd crowd building in a way where you say right. okay, someone's going to be putting in something, um, have them be a part of the creative process. And right. That's why you have yeah. some of these levels on that. Oh yeah, definitely. I think that, you know, people are begging to participate and I've, I've mm. said this um, probably on a lot of interviews before, but like, you know, when people see the Mandalorian and they're upset with this, this character that they, that was in it, that they're like, this character shouldn't be in it. People are begging to participate and big corporations like Marvel and Disney don't let them do that, obviously. Um, and they want to make um, fan art and fan this and fan this, or sometimes people even literally go out and try to correct the thing that they made, you know, with like the phantom edit or whatever. Um, and so I think that people are, have been begging to be in, you know, collaborate or begging to have their voices heard in a certain way. And I, and this is kind of my way of allowing people to collaborate with the book. Crowdfunding gives you that opportunity to do that. Um, and it's amazing um, because, um, I mean, I, it, it's in a small way, obviously. They're not like changing the story or anything like that, but it is a way that you can participate, you know? And um, yeah, like how many times have you heard like, oh, this person is a secret cameo in Star Wars. And like, it's, a, it's, like, it's a huge deal. So it's yeah. kind of the same thing. Like, it's just, um, you know, giving people that opportunity to, you know, um, I had one time uh, a, a, it was a, a father who had like two little girls. And so he bought the tier and uh, they put their characters in it. And it, they were just so impressed when they saw what Raphael did. And Raphael is excellent at um, doing this. I mean, he just posted a um, picture of, he has a little kids. He, he's uh, older than me. Um, and he has um, about like two children. And so they, they draw you know, with their crayons and he um, posted a picture on Instagram of him using their drawings and making them with his style. And they look amazing. They look like unbelievably like the characters that it, it you know, exist. And so he's just so good at taking, um, sometimes people will sketch a character that they want for it and give it to Raphael and he'll make this amazing character. Um, and so it's just a cool tier. Um, it's, it's something cool that um, people can, you know, kind of just get involved in if they want to create a character. That's awesome. You know, and there's it, again, it being a war book, it being a book about all these factions fighting each other. It just only makes sense to give people the opportunity. Um, so, right. I mean, did you have you ever had any um, um, and and any um, uh, emails or anything about any pro nutcracker people who are like they're not the bad guys or anything like that? <laughs> uh, yeah, someone wants to be a nutcracker. Yeah, so I think right. someone sent me. Yeah, and you know the nutcrackers—they're not inherently bad guys. I mean, in fact, they also used to work for Father Christmas. Shockingly enough, um, they did used to work for him, um, and when everything was great. Um, but the issue is that. You know, I mean, of course, when you think you're more powerful than Father, or when you think that you've never gotten your comeuppance, like Father, uh, like General Allman never felt that he got comeuppance or did. Um, he's like, I'm a capable leader. I'm, I, I could do this. I have all these these soldiers. Why can't I take on these monsters? Why does Father Christmas always get to? And so he's, by uh, accident, he's given this opportunity to basically get resources for another planet on his planet. And he's like, all right. And he is, he does get a little screw loose and we get to see that in the backup story, how this all happens. But you know, they are being manipulated. A lot of these nutcrackers they are thinking they're doing it for a good cause. They're going to be able to inherit the planet and finally get their comeuppance. Um, finally be able to um, really take over and be the leaders, which they feel they rightfully deserve. And so, yeah, they're, they're definitely weird and they have some, um, they're bad guys, but, they do have 
I, there are there is some sympathy for them. Of course, they're not just inherently bad. Mm. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so, uh, do you? I, yeah, I'm 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 really excited to read this. I'm really <laughs> wish you too. So um so real quick so uh, you have uh, uh, this book as I say it's um it'll be out in February that's that's when yeah. uh, the the plan is 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 February yes. 2021 is the physical mm -hmm. copies um so uh so people can find it on uh, indie, where where can where can people find this right now okay yeah, so can it's they find your campaign yeah Indiegogo um Burgerback number two Indiegogo yeah and that's all you probably have to put in to find it um. It yeah, a fantasy Christmas story or just Burger Brack and it will take you there. Um, I did have a several failed campaigns, so just look for the one that's currently active. <laughs> yeah, because there's a graveyard of campaigns with this one because it was okay. a struggle to get funded, uh, right. unfortunately. But you know what? That's okay um, because I think it almost made the there's there is buyer's remorse, and I think it all it made a lot of the backers really passionate about. You know, because I was passionate about making the project happen, they wanted it to happen, and so it's been great to see that people really just want it to happen. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, so, and where can people where can people find your own if they want to learn more about your your writing? For sure. So I'm primarily on Instagram at at Ryan Hawk underscore ninety eight, and so there you can find my link tree where which will take you to the campaign to my other campaign that I'm working on with my friend Milton, who's also collaborating on this Raptor. Um, unfortunately, we he failed that one, but we're going to be relaunching on Kickstarter in January, and that's a superhero book that I wrote and he. Um, created the character and drew it. Um, my podcast, my uh, the unspeakable text webcomic, and then my films and all that stuff. You can find that on um, my Instagram. All right, excellent. Well, thanks a lot, Ryan. I had a fantastic time talking to you about uh, Planet Christmas and Brick of Oh, absolutely, and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to reading this, uh, and, uh, and 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 looking forward to issue number three as well. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, definitely. It's going to be a blast. <laughs> Thank you. No problem. Thank you so much for having me. So is that is that like a Christmas shirt that you're wearing? Is that No, your... this is actually a shirt from the book. Um oh, yeah, wow. these are our two okay. main characters. Yeah. Um yeah, Garrett, Garrett? and yes. and Marie, right. Yeah, I actually okay. just got these. Yeah, and then on the back it has the logo. Okay. It. Yeah, so that, it's kind of cool. And I was like, well, instead of getting a holiday themed thing, I'm gonna get make my own. They're my very first shirts I've ever made, so they're kind of cool. Yeah. I feel like I'm gonna wear them. I got them as a gift for my parents too, yeah. and my grandmother and stuff like this. So I was like, I want my own. And so <laughs> Yeah, because I wanted to make them a tier, but they're very expensive. I, I wanted to test it out for next time because they're yeah. so expensive. So, like, shirts, especially if you're making a small amount of them, they're just so expensive, you know, on these custom ink sites and stuff like that. So right. I, it was a test and also, you know, something cool to have. Did it come out the way you liked it, though? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, this is a, this is going to be the cover of issue two. And, yeah, the back logo is – yeah, it's perfect. I love it. Yeah. Um, hopefully I can make more. Hopefully. Well, that's and that, that's actually better than doing the testing out the T-shirt than you know just than like getting the tattoo of the logo on you or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I think the T-shirt's <laughs> I think the T-shirt's better, right? Because. <laughs> uh,